This is TSC Now, a podcast by the Tuber Sclerosis Alliance. Hello, and welcome to TSC Now. As always, I'm your host, Dan Klein. Today's episode will be on overcoming hurdles in healthcare and is sponsored by Greenwich Biosciences. Later in the episode, I'll be joined by two former payers, Hedy Lima and Kelly Rodemaker from Precision Value and Health. A few disclaimers on today's episode. Greenwich Biosciences utilize Precision Services to gather and respond to the questions being discussed today on this podcast. The opinions expressed are those of the speakers individually based on their experience and do not reflect the policies or positions of the speaker's employers or of Greenwich Biosciences. The following content is for informational purposes only and does not guarantee access or coverage of any product. But before speaking to the payers about how members can navigate these hurdles, it's important to provide a little context on what those challenges can look like for individuals and families. So I talked to Shelley Meitzler, TS Alliance Regional Program Manager East, and mom to Ashlyn and Mason with TSC. Shelley recently had challenges accessing medication and shared where she hit roadblocks, how she felt navigating the insurance and pharmacy system, and how she ultimately got resolution. Again, her story represents her views and experiences and do not reflect the policies and positions of Greenwich Biosciences. Here's my conversation with Shelley. So we're now talking to Shelly Meitzler, TS Alliance Community Programs Manager East. Shelly, thank you for talking to us today. Thank you for having me. So just by way of introduction, can you share just a little bit about your own connection to TSC? Sure. I have been on staff since 2017. Prior to being on staff, I was a volunteer in the community for about 14 years. Two of my three children have TSC. So my daughter, Ashlyn, is a 19-year-old dependent, and my son, Mason, is seven. So this month, we're looking at access issues and common hurdles that parents face. In the 19 years that you've been a special needs mom, how long do you think have you been dealing personally with issues with getting access to medication? I would say definitely over the last five years was when I really, I think, started to kind of face some of the challenges and the hurdles and obstacles within the community. Can you share a recent example of a time where you got stuck and what challenges you faced? Sure. So at the beginning of this year, Ashlyn is on our state medical assistance and her insurance changed kind of in the fall of 2020, not by our choice, but really because her previous insurance had cut all contracts with her specialty doctors. So it was important that we switch over. So I didn't really do a lot of background research. I just kind of picked one and kept moving because... We didn't want to lose any lapse in our coverage with our specialty doctors, you know, for the TSC. And at the beginning of the year, one of her medications needed a prior authorization. And for two months prior to that, this new insurance company had approved the medication with no issues. I was actually really surprised that a prior auth wasn't required because that's typically for this type of medication, what would be needed. And so two months, we had no issues. The new year comes and we're looking to do some adjustments to the doses of medication, kind of more focused around Ashland's behavioral challenge. Challenges. And then we kind of get met with this hurdle of a prior authorization is needed, but then it kind of snowballed from there. So we had to submit because we were two days shy from when we were going to see her doctor with the current prescription. So we needed a new prescription because we had no refills left. So the doctor went to submit the prior authorization to get us through. And then by the time we had her appointment, we needed to increase her dose. So it kind of caused this domino effect where the initial prior authorization went in for a lower dose. 
And then a couple of days later, we had to submit a new one. And from there, we had all kinds of challenges. So all of a sudden, they were requesting lots of information from her psychiatrist. And they were kind of going back and forth, sending the information through. It wasn't enough. They were questioning another medication that she was on. So we kind of had to go back and say, okay, here's how we're going to wean off of one medication to increase this other medication. Give a little bit of background on why she was on both of the medications. And then from there, they came back and said, well, now we need you to go and have blood work done and have some other kind of pre-standard things for this prior authorization. What was extremely frustrating to me as her parent is that, you know, I didn't really get anywhere with the kind of typical customer service. So I was having a lot of challenges. I was getting disconnected. People were hanging up on me. So I actually had to call back and say, I need to talk to like the special needs unit or someone above, you know, outside of the call center. So I was able to get in touch with someone from a special needs unit who then connected me with a resource unit. And that's actually where I found the people that had the most knowledge and that were going to be able to really help me through figuring out what needed to be done and kind of separating what we needed to do, how the doctor could provide more accurate information in the prior authorization. But in the meantime, her medication is running out. Like I'm running out of a medication that you cannot stop abruptly because it can have some pretty severe side effects. So as I'm trying to navigate this, I'm asking about, you know, supply for continuation of care while we try and figure out what we need to do for the prior authorization. And once it was all we thought said and done, when it was time to fill the prescription at the end of the month, there was still a glitch. There was a hang up somewhere on the pharmacy side of the insurance company where someone didn't like click, you know, the button to approve. And then I was faced with where I live, we were getting a, a really big snowstorm that could potentially shut down stores and could again, leave us in a position where we were going to run out of the medication. I had to call the pharmacy. I had to pay out of pocket. And lo and behold, that storm came, shut down our pharmacy. And had I not kind of been proactive in doing that, Ashlyn would have missed medication doses again of something that you you just can't stop abruptly. So you talk about how this is a medication that she can't stop abruptly. What would it look like for her to miss doses of that medication? So it's it falls under like an antipsychotic medication. So, you know, it's really even the pharmacy was like, yeah, I can't even tell you how bad that would be because you just really can't predict. I mean, it would be something that stopping it suddenly, could it cause seizures from, you know, quick withdrawal? Other things that, you know, she's been on this consistently. I help dose all of her medications. So Ashlyn doesn't miss doses of medication. So I wouldn't even really know what it would look like because that's not something I work really hard to make sure we never run out of things. But when you're talking about medications and that kind of classification, you know, it, it's scary to think about what that could do. And as, you know, a special needs dependent adult with TSC, it's not my comfortability of going to a local ER to even seek help kind of in that realm of things just really isn't something that I feel we would have, you know, the proper support that we need. So the psychiatrist office was aware that we were running out of the medication. The insurance company knew and our, our retail pharmacy knew, but it really was left to me as the parent to figure it out. I, I, there was no, no fail proof in place to help make sure I got that medication. I had the means to pay out of pocket for it. And so I was able to do that because we just, we paid out of pocket to make sure we didn't run out. 
So it sounds like you were stuck in the unenviable role of having to coordinate all of these different pieces. Who all were you working with to get the medication you needed? So I was working with her psychiatrist office. I mean, they're great. And, you know, some of, I think, what many families probably experience, though, too, is that her psychiatrist isn't specific to TSC. She's not connected to a large hospital. It's a smaller practice. So even some of the things that doctor's offices use to help with prior authorizations or automate some of those processes is not what my psychiatrist office experiences. So I'm working with the psychiatrist, the admin at the office. The psychiatrist is only in the office at that specific practice once a week. So we're doing a lot of back and forth, a lot of phone calls. I'm talking to the insurance company, you know, trying to figure out how I can best play the middle person going back and forth to expedite this process. And I think what was really frustrating is that in talking to the insurance company, what I found was that they have this, you know, standard rule in place where they automatically approve a medication like that for two months as a new member. And they knew that they were going to require this prior authorization when that third month came along. And, you know, we talked in length that had they provided me you know, that information up front, like say a letter went out the first time we filled that medication and said, you know, dear member, this type of medication after two months is going to require prior authorization. And here's some of the things that will be needed. Had that been provided to me up front, I would have been able to do a lot of those things, not only in talking to her doctor just a few days before, but I would have had time to go do blood work. With COVID, there's a lot of additional challenges in place and it was a fasting blood work. So she couldn't have any medication. She couldn't eat. You have to schedule all of your blood work at this point. You can't just walk into a facility and even getting an appointment quickly, the turnaround time for results and things. I mean, everything's delayed from that, you know, bigger perspective of this pandemic that we're in. So I was able to get her scheduled for blood work, but it took six days to get a morning appointment where she could fast. She's has developmental delays and a lot of other challenges. So you can't just say to Ashlyn, Hey, we're not going to take meds or eat this morning. It's not that easy. I had a continuation supply in place at that point to, to help get through kind of a 14 day window. But again, once all of that went through, we still got to a point where there was still a holdup and that medication wasn't approved when we needed to fill again. How does it make you feel having to go through all these hurdles and being hung up on by customer service and feeling desperate trying to get this medication? It's a horrible feeling. It's exhausting emotionally, mentally, physically. It's very draining to fight really hard for things that your loved one needs, you know, and I think there's for sure bigger systemic issues with a lot of these things. But in, you know, the day to day, I think after all was said and done, eight to 10 hours of my time was spent with various people on phone calls. I enlisted help, you know, from the TS Alliance. I had my psychiatrist office. I had my retail pharmacy who they were actually fantastic. They really tried to help us as a family to kind of figure out, you know, the continuation supplies and even just, you know, allowing us to pay for a couple of days when we were going to run out again. But it puts these challenges and hurdles in front of you and it shouldn't be this hard. And, you know, these are not, again, medications that you just stop abruptly. In a perfect world, I would love that Ashlyn didn't need to take all of the medication that she does, but that's not the world that we live in. And when you're faced with these things and the sense of urgency isn't recognized by, you know, the people that you really look at as I look at these as extensions of her care team and people that I would hope would be, you know, helping me with these challenges, not necessarily putting some of these additional obstacles in our way. So as you mentioned at the beginning, you know, you've 
you've been dealing with issues like this for probably about five years. What sorts of strategies have you developed over that time to help escalate the issue and really ensure that you have the supply of medication that you need. I always fill medications as soon as I can fill them because it, it allows to make sure that we we don't run out. But looking ahead and seeing, you know, things like storms or holidays, things that could really impact getting medications timely, I think is something to look at. I have learned though very early on when I'm not getting the answers or the assistance that I need with people, I escalate the call immediately. You know, I need a supervisor. I need to talk to someone that's going to help with solutions and be able to really help me figure out what needs to be done because I'm very responsible as the parent. I do whatever I need to do from my end and I expect that from the people that I'm working with. And then if I'm not getting those results, I will escalate it. Again, with this last instance, I now have direct phone numbers of direct people. And so every time we were still hitting a hurdle that when this should have still all been resolved, I picked up the phone and I called those people directly and said, we still don't have resolution for this. And they were able to help coordinate and figure out what our next steps were going to be. I alerted them on the weekends to say, you need to work on this right away Monday morning because that pharmacy glitch, you know, that was one of the challenges too from the insurance side. Nobody was there at the pharmacy for those emergencies over the weekend to whatever they needed to do, that step that they had missed, it had to wait till Monday. And I think even from their perspective, putting some kind of fail proofs in place so that those things don't happen or someone that can resolve them would be really helpful kind of long-term. So you talked a little bit about things you'd love to see from either the pharmacy side or the insurance side, whether it's having those fail-safes over the weekend or in terms of insurance, you know, letting you know ahead of time when you'll need a prior authorization for medication. What other changes would you like to see that would make your life easier as a parent? I think, you know, having that information up front, I mean, I'll be honest to say that, you know, if I'm switching insurance companies, I'm not necessarily browsing your member's benefit book because it, it's just not realistic. And I'll be very honest, I don't have the time to do that. So I think when you're getting set up with like a new pharmacy or a new insurance, having someone that says to you, okay, let's go through kind of your your daughter's history and you know what she's on and and walking through those steps with someone you know taking maybe a 30 minutes to 60 minutes up front with you know someone who's a new member or a new patient whether it be a retail or specialty pharmacy and really being able to kind of walk through those details so that we're all on the same page we all understand what responsibilities each party has and who is my contact person when there are problems and and to help me troubleshoot things I'm okay being that middle person for my doctor, but I need to have very clear information up front to be able to do that. Ultimately, at the end of the day, you ended up having to pay out of pocket. That isn't necessarily a realistic option for some families who may not have the means to do so. What advice would you give to them when they get to that point? And what resources are available for them. That's part of it too. It's, you know, luckily I, I was fortunate enough that it wasn't a huge expense and it was something that we could manage, but that's not everyone's circumstance. And especially now, I think all of the issues over the last year really compounded for families. Talking to the pharmacy and really figuring out some options, you know, I was able to work with my retail pharmacy and, and they gave me some kind of coupons and things and, and the insurance, the resource unit did as well to say, here's a place that you can go 
to get a coupon that it will help offset some of the costs of these types of things where I potentially could go and fill a 30 day supply of that medication for under $20. So looking and seeing what kind of assistance is out there, there are for certain medications, specialty side, those patient assistance programs that really help you with, you know, tracking prior authorizations and bridge supplies. And I encourage you to kind of seek out all of the different options to put those things in place to help you as well. And if you're not getting anywhere with the pharmacy, whomever you're speaking to, you have to escalate that call and and really take it up the chain until you get someone that's going to help you resolve this. And reaching out to your doctors too, you know, they, they don't always know what's going on. They may be aware that, you know, the prior author's pending, but a lot of times it seemed like I was finding that information out before the doctor was. So I could take that information back to them as well. And then they understood there was a sense of urgency, you know, to work, to try and get that. But even going back to the doctor and asking, do you have bridge supplies? Can you help me access any kind of supplier? Is there anything you can do to help offset this expense? So it's not a burden to families. Well, I think that's all really great advice for other families who are going through the frustrating process of dealing with this issue. And it's unfortunately not an uncommon issue. So Thank you for sharing your experience. Thank you for sharing all your advice. And hopefully we can continue to work together to help parents and other families through this. Thank you. And and thank you for, I think, you know, shedding light to this. It's definitely a struggle that many of our families face. And so hopefully, you know, from this, people will find some resolutions, but also know that there's help and support out there to kind of navigate a lot of these challenges and hurdles because it's super frustrating. It's exhausting, but there are people that can help. My thanks to Shelly for sharing her experience with us. Her story highlights a number of potential places where challenges can arise. Switching insurance providers, trying to identify your care team and how to contact them, knowing when you need a prior authorization, and more. So now, let's talk to our two former payers to get some helpful advice on what parents and families can do to proactively navigate these hurdles. Here's my conversation with Hedy Lima and Kelly Rademacher. Let's start with introductions. Hedy, why don't you introduce yourself and give us a little bit of your background? Sure, Dan. Hi, everyone. I'm Hedy Lima. I'm a senior director on Precision's Access Experience team. I'm also a pharmacist by education and have 30 plus years of senior executive management experience with some of the country's largest specialty pharmacies. I've also had the privilege of overseeing the dispensing of specialty medications to individuals with rare and orphan diseases. And my two sons and I also have a rare bleeding disorder, so can speak to this from a personal side. Thanks for sharing. All right, Kelly, you're next. Hi, thanks, Dan. I'm Kelly Rodemaker. Like Hetty, I am part of Precision's Access Experience team as a vice president. I am also a pharmacist by education with over 15 years of payer access experience. What that means is I was a former decision maker at a health plan and a pharmacy benefit manager. I have also practiced in pharmacy, both from an inpatient hospital perspective, as well as an outpatient retail and outpatient hospital pharmacy perspective within critical care. Well, thank you both for joining us and for sharing your insights and expertise. So as I said at the top, today we're going to talk about some common hurdles with health insurance and specialty pharmacies that members or plan beneficiaries may experience when trying to get their medications. And as former payers, you guys will provide insights into processes and suggest ways to minimize the impact of some of these hurdles. One place where people may see hurdles and there's a lot of disruption is when there are health plan changes. 
How would a member know when their health plan is going to change? I'll take that, Dan. Thanks. For those with employer-sponsored health plans, the employer typically has an annual enrollment period each calendar year where they'll communicate plan options and providers with new benefits becoming effective at the beginning of the year in January for the new year. Understanding what the plan provides both from doctors and hospitals, and if any of that has changed or if you're selecting a different plan, is one way to become aware of potential changes. If it's unclear if the health plan provider is changing or if the plan you selected will be different than your existing plan, you can always reach out to your benefits coordinator and human resources at your employer who should be able to provide some assistance. Patty, do you have something to add? Yeah, thanks, Kelly. And prior to selecting a new plan during your open enrollment period, members should also check to see if their providers or doctors are in network with the new plan. Additionally, you might want to check to see if your specialty pharmacy that you're currently currently using is in network with the new plan as well. And for those with a government-based plan like Medicare or Medicaid, you should receive a notification by mail or email for any changes in plan providers. You may also reach out to the customer service department using the number on the back of your insurance card. When your health plan changes, it's helpful to proactively notify your providers, including any of the specialists that you see, and notify your pharmacies of the new insurance change as well. Once you receive your new member identification numbers, make sure you contact the provider offices and pharmacies and provide them with that updated member number information as well. And you can often get those identification numbers from your benefits coordinator for any of those employer-sponsored healthcare coverage plans before the cards are actually delivered. And remember, providing these member numbers to your doctors and pharmacies ahead of time is going to save you countless hours of aggravation after the fact. So, Hetty, you kind of talked about these two types of plans, employer-based and government-based. Kelly, a question for you. How do members navigate having two insurance plans? For example, one from an employer and then an additional coverage from a state plan such as Medicaid. That's a great question, Dan. It's really important to understand what each plan covers, the effective date of the coverage, how long the coverage is assigned, which can vary for Medicaid. You need to understand any deductibles that need to be met and then to make each plan aware of the other so that the benefits can be coordinated. Oftentimes, when you hear from your health insurance, it'll ask for a coordination of benefits, and that's what this is speaking to. It will also be important for members to understand for each covered person, which plan will be assigned as the primary. The primary plan will be the plan that will have claims submitted to it first, and whatever is not covered from there, minus any patient deductible, can then be submitted to the secondary insurance for coverage, assuming it is a covered benefit by the secondary plan. This won't guarantee any level of seamless service. However, it does help to minimize denied claims and extra paperwork on the back end. Hetty? Yeah, and one thing I think you really need to keep in mind is that sometimes when a member has two types of, say, commercial insurances, right? The spouse has one, the husband has one insurance, the the wife might have another. The primary insurance is often defined as that health plan belonging to the member whose birthday 
occurs first in the calendar year. I know that sounds confusing, but someone covered with a birthday in January versus November, that January member's insurance may be considered primary first. And why that's important to know is that sometimes individuals might carry minimal insurance, right? The lower level health plans that cover a bare minimum. And so, you know, you need to be mindful that this isn't your situation. So you won't be surprised when you get that bill for what is not covered prior to billing that secondary. So just something to keep in mind. So another potential hurdle that members may face is changes in coverage for drugs. So even if the health plan for a member doesn't change, how would they know if there are any changes in coverage for drugs? And Kelly, I pose this question to you. Yeah, I know that's a great question. If payers are going to make a change to their formulary or their drug coverage, that typically happens a few times a year. In my experience, often for our plans, that happened on a quarterly basis. So for commercial health plans, that's usually quarterly. Government-sponsored plans like Medicare and Medicaid have stricter rules that don't allow payers to make formulary changes, especially those called negative changes as often. An example of a negative formulary change would be removing a drug that was previously covered to a non-covered status or adding a prior authorization where there hadn't been one previously. Payers are required to notify impacted members for government-sponsored plans when drug coverage is changed. And often, commercial plans also have very similar policies. So the members should typically be notified. Hedy, do you have something to add? Thank you, Kelly. I think, too, when you're in the process of selecting a new commercial insurance during your employer's open enrollment period, you can check to see if the medications you use will be covered under that new plan. And as Kelly mentioned, and sometimes there's no change to the prescription coverage. Other times the new plan could place your existing medication on a different tier, which can result in a higher copay or a larger out-of-pocket cost for you. So try to check out those drugs on the new plan to see if they're covered before you select it. What can a member do when a medication is no longer covered? Well, there are a couple of options, Dan. Often the payer will provide an alternative medication that is covered for the same condition. The member can then choose to switch to that medication for insurance coverage. This usually requires a consultation with the provider since prescriptions would need to be changed. And you want to verify that the provider is comfortable with that change before switching to the covered medication. The member then would then, then need to contact the provider and discuss the appropriateness of switching to that covered drug. And then, of course, a new prescription would need to be written by that provider and then submitted to the insurance and the pharmacy for filling and dispensing. Another option is to appeal for continued coverage of the existing medication. The second option, so this appeal option, would require the member to contact the provider and request that the provider file an appeal with the insurance company to maintain coverage for that existing medication. This process is often time-consuming and requires clinical documentation from the provider of the medical need, often called medical necessity, to remain on the non-covered drug. Appeals are often successful, albeit time-consuming, if there is a medical need. Also, during this appeals process, it's important to check with your prescribing physician to see if you will need to stay on the medication that is no longer covered so that you aren't having abrupt ends in treatment that can cause some unwanted side effects. Members should also know that they can contact the manufacturer of the product 
to see if they have a patient assistance or emergency supply program available to cover them during this interim period while they're going through the appeals process. Teddy, do you have something additional to add? Yeah, in addition to Kelly, that's some great advice for folks. Additionally, if you have a commercial health plan, you can check out the medications website. I know that sounds silly, but there's often dedicated websites to the specific medication or the manufacturer of the medications website. And oftentimes they'll list patient assistance programs. So the manufacturer will offer either a prescription copay card for the medication, whereby you don't have to pay or you pay a fixed amount copay to receive the drug, often at a much reduced rate. $25 a month, $5 a month. So be sure to check those resources out. Unfortunately, though, this does not exist for government payer plans such as Medicare or Medicaid. So what about when a drug requires some type of management, such as a prior authorization, step therapy, quantity limit, or some other type of edit that could delay coverage? How does a member know when this may happen, Kelly? Well, payers usually publish a list of the drugs that are covered by each plan that they offer. This is referred to as the formulary. And the formulary often lists this information, usually in some form of abbreviation. So if it requires a PA, usually the letter P or PA is next to it. If there's a quantity limit, they'll usually have some level of designation. And this information is often available online through the payers portal. So a lot of health plans offer portals for patients to check out their information, see things like that. So their formulary is available through that, and that should be noted on that formulary. A member can also search for a prescribed drug and see what tier it's on. And then what other, like I said, any other type of edit that is required. So if it requires a specialty pharmacy, typically it will also say that. You can also reach out to the customer service number on the back of your pharmacy benefit card and ask if medication has any restrictions that you need to be aware of. They should be able to provide you that information. And if a medication does have restrictions, it's also helpful to notify your provider's office of these restrictions so they can address any necessary documentation and anything that they may need to do so that you can maintain coverage in a timely basis. I know, Hedy, you have additional thoughts. Yeah, no, I just want to re-emphasize what I stated earlier. This is why it's so important to check this out for the primary medications you take during your company's open enrollment period. Again, usually, as Kelly said, the health plan will have a search by drug name function, and you can check out if your particular medication is on formulary. And also checking the formulary status for those really expensive, high-cost medications you take before you sign up for that new plan year may be extremely beneficial. So you talk about how certain drugs may require prior authorization. How does that prior authorization process differ among different health plans? You know, that's a great question, Dan. And surprisingly, the process itself really doesn't differ that much between plans. There are turnaround times that can vary depending on the process, whether it's through a government-sponsored plan or a commercial plan. Many health plans have guarantees around the turnaround time for prior authorizations that they make to their downstream clients, such as large employer groups that you know, you may have your drug coverage through. Members who have an employer-sponsored plan like those through your organization or your company, they can reach out to their benefits coordinator to see if 
they have a performance guarantee and then, you know, talk about any discontent that they're having with the prior authorization or the appeals process. The process typically for a member by the time they submit for coverage of a drug and if it's denied or needing a prior authorization and the pharmacy sometimes the member notifies the provider's office that the medication prescribed requires a authorization. That's the typical process. The necessary forms are either faxed, emailed, or they can be available on a provider portal for the provider to provide information to complete the PA. Now, this is different than the patient portal. This requires only a provider to log in and provide the clinical information necessary for that prior authorization, which is usually done by, honestly, the provider's staff and not the provider themselves, surprisingly. For the prior authorization form, once it's submitted, the, a pharmacist will usually review it to decide, does this patient meet coverage determination or do they not? And then the member is oftentimes notified if it's approved. Sometimes the provider's office is also notified. The pharmacy typically is not notified, unfortunately, especially a retail pharmacy. And they really just have to continue to resubmit a claim to see if coverage is approved. So that's not an ideal process from a retail perspective. And something a member can do is you can request that your pharmacy continue to resubmit because oftentimes in a retail pharmacy, those types of claims kind of get lost and they forget to resubmit in a timely manner. So from a member's perspective, you can go ahead and you know, call them and ask them to resubmit to see if an approval has been claimed. And I know, Hetty, it works a little bit differently from a specialty pharmacy perspective, right? Yeah, exactly, Kelly. Whereas retail pharmacies generally aren't kept in the loop on if a drug is approved or a PA approved, within the specialty pharmacy segment, after the medication is submitted for a prior authorization, The specialty pharmacy generally will keep the member and the provider notified of the status of that approval. So if we do it on a Monday, we don't hear anything by Wednesday, we reach out to the patient, to the doc, and let them know it's still pending. And we have follow-up mechanisms, if you will, such that once we get approval, everyone's notified. And oftentimes it, it gets hung up in insurance approval. It's not necessarily because the specialty pharmacy is is holding this, but once we get that approval from the health plan, we then notify the appropriate parties. So try to keep everyone in the loop here. Kelly, is there anything different or information a member should know about switching medications? You know, when switching to a different medication, I'd recommend members check their patient portals or call their insurance company to understand, again, are there any coverage requirements to the medication I may be shipping to? Is there a difference in cost share? And where can that new medication be attained? So do I have to get it from a retail pharmacy or mail order, or does it have to come from a specialty pharmacy? Hetty? Yeah, and if it comes from a specialty pharmacy, so specialty pharmacies are accredited by different organizations. And one of the fulfillments of that is that we must tell patients exactly what their copay or copay insurance will be. So members are notified of that amount they're expected to pay right from the get-go. And again, as we said earlier, if you're looking to switch plans during your employer's open enrollment period, make sure that all of your current medications will be covered with the new health plan. 
Eddie, what should a member do if they need emergency access to a medication? Oh, boy. (laughs) So for specialty pharmacies, usually members are assigned to what we call a dedicated care team based on the disease or type of condition that they have. So members of this care team will often include a pharmacist, a pharmacy technician, a reimbursement specialist, and sometimes a nurse. So your specialty pharmacy should provide you with a list of who those care team members are by name and their direct phone numbers. So these are essentially those folks who become your single point of contact. And these are the people you need to contact during an emergency when you need access to your medications. Really, you need to get to know who they are. And these specialty pharmacies will have on-call staff 24-7, and they'll be able to route you to that appropriate care team member during an emergency. I highly recommend that members ask someone at the pharmacy, either their specialty pharmacy or retail, what is the process for gaining access to medication? So when you first sign up with the pharmacy, make sure you ask them that before you actually have an emergency. Try to get an individual's direct number versus that generic 800 number so you can avoid being placed on hold or transferred and transferred. Be proactive. Ask how to handle emergency situations before they happen. My son has hemophilia, a rare disorder, and we needed to get an emergency shipment to him on a weekend. Neither the 800 number on the prescription label or the 800 number on the pharmacy's website worked. So again, be proactive. The old, if something can go wrong, it will. Avoid the frustration and trying to get through to the appropriate staff during emergency situations is rarely worth, in my opinion. So you've alluded to it a couple of times about differences between retail and specialty pharmacies. Hedy, can you tell us how dealing with retail pharmacies is different from specialty pharmacies? Sure, Dan. Perhaps the biggest difference between the two are that retail pharmacies tend to be open during regular retail hours, duh, and they don't have that ability to handle a crisis or an emergency when that store is closed. Specialty pharmacies, as we mentioned, have dedicated staff members available 24-7, 365 days a year. Also, Most retail pharmacies don't carry specialty medications or specialty meds for rare or chronic conditions, and they don't have the ability to get a prior auth for a member's medication, as Kelly alluded to earlier. This is deferred to the individual's provider. Specialty pharmacies, on the other hand, will work closely with the member and the prescriber to ensure prior auths are received and that the drug will be covered. Kelly, do you have some additional information there? Yeah, thanks, Teddy. Also, most retail pharmacies, like we said, don't have that dedicated expert for your disease state, right? So they aren't going to have the level of education that you may need to understand what's going on and address your needs and concerns. Members afflicted with a rare orphan disease, those will be serviced by the dedicated care team 
that HETI referenced for that rare disease at that specialty pharmacy. Again, like we said, those members are often assigned to that care team, and that's because they have that expert knowledge and deeper understanding of that disease state. And again, getting that assignment usually happens when you're onboarded to that specialty pharmacy. So if you're already in a specialty pharmacy and you don't have any idea what we're talking about or who your specialty care team is, now's the time to ask, call them, find out who they are, like Hetty said, get their numbers. If, however, that specialty pharmacy doesn't happen to have a dedicated care team, then you should really ask a pharmacist, like, who can I call outside of this 800 number if there's an emergency? Really dig hard to make sure that you have an understanding of, in an emergency, who do I call? How do I get a hold of somebody? Yeah, one other differentiation, Dan, is that many specialty pharmacies will also help members secure patient assistance programs or copay cards in order to cover their high out-of-pocket prescription costs. But what members should realize, this is a new trend, that some of these copay or patient assistance programs, the money you get to offset your prescription drugs may not count towards meeting your deductible. And this really will vary from member health plan to health plan. The majority of commercial health plans have stopped counting manufacturer-sponsored copay cards and patient assistance programs towards the deductible. And this is really too bad, but sadly, it's a growing trend for many commercial health plans. And during your benefits open enrollment period, check with the plan that you're considering signing up with to see that your new insurance company has stopped counting those copay cards towards your deductibles. And this information is in what they call the plan document. It's either a PDF or or paper handout where you can see and it's stated quite clearly if it's counted towards the deductible or not. And if you can't readily find that online, check with your benefits manager or your human resources contact. It's best to know this ahead of time and to be proactive knowing this to prevent issues later on in the plan year. So you both have shared such great advice. And one of the common themes is proactive communication. Hedy, can you share with us ways a member can maximize their ability to communicate with the pharmacy? Thanks, Dan. I'll defer back to the earlier discussion we had on specialty pharmacy care teams, knowing who your dedicated care team members are by name and their direct phone numbers will go a long way to maximizing communication with your specialty pharmacy. And oftentimes when you first call them or they contact you about a medication, it's called the onboarding process. That's the time to ask who these individuals are. And usually if you get your first shipment from the specialty pharmacy, there'll often be a packet of information in a folder that will list out who these care team members are, the process for gaining access to meds during an emergency period. So don't file all that information in the waste bin. Be sure to, you know, look through it to get the information on contacting them for future reference. The other thing we see sometimes is English might not always be someone's primary language, right? So that can also afford communication challenges. But specialty pharmacies are equipped 
with translation services and are individuals fluent in a particular language. So that will also be another way that appropriate communication can occur. Some retail and specialty pharmacies also have their own apps or patient portals. And I highly encourage listeners to take advantage of that technology. Many refills can be seamlessly processed by a simple click, making that whole process more convenient. And you can refill medications on your time, not just during the nine to five hours of your pharmacy. A lot of these apps and portals will also supply shipment tracking information, you know, a FedEx or UPS tracking number, and they can assist you in knowing when your prescription will be arriving. Well, Hetty and Kelly, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me. I know that getting access to medication can sometimes be a very frustrating process. And I really appreciate you sharing your insights and tips for individuals and families when they're navigating that process. Thank you, Dan. The pleasure was ours, actually. Thank you very much for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you to Hetty and Kelly for your incredible insights and advice on navigating what can sometimes be a very frustrating process. And thank you again to Greenwich Biosciences for sponsoring this episode. Earlier this year, we hosted an e-webinar on this topic called Overcoming Hurdles, Insurance, Scripts, and Specialty Pharmacy. I encourage you to go back and watch the recording to get even more advice on dealing with access issues. I'll post a link in the show notes. Finally, if you are at risk of running out of medication for you or your loved one and need assistance, please contact us on our emergency line. The number is 240 That number is available 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern, and someone from our team can help. Thank you for listening to this episode. See you next time. Thank you for listening to TSC Now. Our theme song is Take Charge by Young Presidents. You can find all our episodes at tsalliance.org slash tscnow. Thanks for listening.